17, Luke chapter 17. I started out there Monday with kind of personal devotions, and Saturday I was still in Luke chapter 17. I've got uh, three messages outlined here. I think we're going to look at the simplest and the first and foremost one obvious message out of Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through oh, 19. Jesus heals the ten lepers. Give you a moment to turn there. I think there's a valuable lesson we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded from time to time the lessons that are in here. Jesus heals the ten lepers, and it came to pass as he went to to Jerusalem, that would be Jesus Christ, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into the certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. According to Levitical law, which we'll make reference to a little later in Luke or in, in Leviticus chapter 13, it talks all about leopards and how they're to approach people. And in this day and age, in that day and age, leprosy was considered very contagious. They weren't sure about it. They weren't, we're not even sure to this day if it was in fact all leprosy. Could have been skin cancer. Could have been a number of things. But any disease where they had uh, those kind of symptoms that would match up with leprosy were all heaped into one pile, and the people were considered who were afflicted by it unclean. They were isolated into colonies, regardless of their race or position in society, and they could not even stand on the same side of the street as a clean person. They could not. They'd had to, and if they approached anybody who was of any spiritual or righteous mode or a man of the cloth, so to speak, they had to cry out with a loud voice, leprosy, leprosy, and proceed to go in another direction, uh, detour around them, not to let their paths cross. It was a very uh, dangerous and very, they could be stoned if they uh, did not adhere to the Levitical laws of the day. They would eliminate them from society that way. And uh, so we have these ten leopards standing afar off, crying out to a holy man in their eyes. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found, they there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. The word stranger is pretty peculiar here. I'll read the next verse and then we'll uh, go back and review. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. He said that to the stranger. That word stranger is used just a few times in your Bible. And it refers generally to someone from another country. Uh, it refers basically to uh, another nationality, another group of people that's foreign to whatever group that calls them strangers. 
we kind of lose sight of that term today. We tend to call strangers anybody we don't really know. But that term stranger was rather derogatory, and uh, that man's position was uh, that he probably was not of Hebrew descent at all, or uh, was likely, uh, as a Samaritan, he was uh, only part Hebrew. He fell down, verse 16, he fell down at his feet, giving him thanks, being God, and he was a Samaritan. And the reason that's noted as a Samaritan, he had to go through the midst of Samaria in verse 11, and he was uh, a Samaritan in verse 16, and called a stranger. He was separated three times in verse 8 to till you get to verse 18 as an individual that wasn't of the group. Not only was he an outcast as a leopard, he was an outcast of society regardless of his afflictions. And so he was separated and he was looked down upon. The reasons the Samaritans were looked down upon is they were part Jewish. They were considered half-breeds by the Hebrew people. The Samaritans had intermarried and uh, intermingled with the uh, people either uh, uh, of the land that they were in which was in the northern part of, the, of Israel. And the Samaritans had eventually separated and built themselves their own temple. The temple was in uh, Mount Gershom, and it's found in John chapter 4. We read about it in John chapter 4, and you can get a little more appreciation for one of the other Samaritans that is pointed out in your uh, Bible and that's Jesus Christ as he comes to the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 3. No, John chapter 4. John chapter 3, he talks to a very religious Hebrew, uh, a king and a priest in his own rites, and then he talks to the Samaritan woman. And he says, our fathers, in verse 20, the woman, verse 19 of John chapter 4, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye pray that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. In this particular portion of the passage, the Samaritan woman was pointing out the fact that you're maybe a Hebrew prophet, but you and I are of two different persuasions. We might worship the same God, but in a different way. A lot like the Hebrew people look upon us as Gentiles, the self-righteous Hebrew people look upon themselves in relationship to us being Gentiles. We worship the same God, but in their opinion, we're sidetracked by Jesus Christ. And uh, they, uh, that is the self-righteous. There are Hebrews that believe that Jesus Christ was their personal and is their personal Savior, and those are called Masonic Jews. They're even looked on downward uh, like the Samaritan people in this day and age, the, Samarit, uh, the Masonic Jews. He, she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. He signifies her as a woman because in that day and age, in the time of Christ, a man would not address a woman directly. You addressed her by her guardian or her spouse. You couldn't cut a deal with a woman directly unless she was in a position of designated authority like at a grocery market or a trade 
store where you had to deal with her directly. Even then, the owner of the store, presumably probably her husband, was there to make the final deals. <laughs> Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what we know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and the Father seeketh such to worship him. Today we gathered to worship God. Many denominations, uh, former denominations represented in this room by people's past histories and their heritages are uh, from vast arrays, uh, different social standings and different societies. Uh, we're all here to worship. In God's eyes, we're all the same. And that's what he's telling the woman here, and that's what he's pointing out again where we were in addressing the Samaritan who was healed, the leper. He was obviously handicapped. He was obviously uh, looked down upon by society, both as he stood in society and his heritage and as he stood in society because of the plagues that beset him. The Samaritans built their own temple and, and marked Gershom. The Jews hated them. Christ said to not to go to see the Samaritans at one time. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, and you can see Jesus chooses the 12 disciples and the first mission he gives them. He says to the 12 in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, he says, these 12 Jesus sent forth commanding them. This is the first mission of the disciples. Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of this Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He didn't say go to the priest. He didn't say go to the self-righteous. He said go to the lost sheep. It was first to the Hebrew, then to the Jew, or Jew Hebrew, then to the Gentile. And that's emphasized in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 you see, Christ wasn't against going through Samaria. Later on, he commands them to go to Samaritan, to Samaria. But he wasn't prejudiced. He wasn't biased against them, but he wanted to fulfill prophetic scripture. And it said, uh, as it's reflected in Romans chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Romans chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also the Gentile. And then you go to Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 16. Go back a page. 1, 16. It says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then go to... Uh, and it talks about that is reflected also, the Jew first and then the Gentile is reflected three more times in Romans. We won't go to every one of them. But Psalms 40, verse 9 through 10 also talks about the Old Testament in Psalms 40, verses 9 through 10. 
I like to hear Bible pages turn. Psalms 49 through 10. I have preached righteousness to the great congregation. What do you think the great congregation is there? Remember when our study on church, congregation, this is an Old Testament congregation. That's the Jew first. Lo, I have not refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid my righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from this great congregation, the great congregation. What is that? The great congregation, the church. Uh, Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you're not a Jew, you're Greek in Hebrew culture or a Samaritan or a Gentile kind of groups them all together. But what I want to see here and what I want to kind of point out here is how us to see here and what struck me in this portion of Scripture is how Jesus heals ten lepers. And, uh, you know, we, as a church planner in my early days, uh, which was when dinosaurs walked, I guess, uh, people used to all go by numbers. How big a community? How you, and one of the things I went over with before I settled here when regards to being your pastor was, is this the center of commerce? This is the center of commerce for this community. Good place to start a church. Good place for a church to develop. People come to town, they go grocery shopping Sunday afternoon, they go to, go to church Sunday morning. It's a good place. It's a place of center of worship. Another thing they want to know, and you keep in mind when you work with people, if you're looking at it mechanically, first you've got to be called. I fasted for three days and three nights before I came here. Uh, I always think of a fellow I knew. He said he fasted 30 days and 30 days. And I go, how'd you do it? And he says, well, I ate at night. <laughs> I went 30 days without sleep once. <laughs> I slept at night. Uh, but when you look at the numbers of people, I want, I want to point this out because Christ was facing some of the same things pastors face, some things uh, that anybody who tries to lead, anybody who tries to help, you have to face. How many people are in the area? And if you get depressed on... Uh, well, you figure the most you're going to handle, and we looked. I looked at this when we talk in our building program. What's the population of this town? 1,200, roughly. Could be a little more than that. Could be a little less. Christ healed ten lepers. How many? How many came back? One, ten percent. Christ had twelve apostles. How many stayed apostles? One left, just a little over 10%. The most you can figure to draw from a community of 1,200 is how many? 10%. It's just the way it is. Uh, so when we build a church, we're looking at how many? 
uh, 120 people in a congregation, 150 would be astronomical. Uh, the doctors went through this when they settled and had a clinic here. They have to figure out what, how many people, how much you can help, and how much you can do, and what you expect to have in, as far as commerce. So even Christ had people leave the church. Even Christ had people reject him from his inner circle, from his congregation, from his church family. In fact, his own brothers and sisters rejected him until he uh, suffered on a cross. All right, that's not the point. The, the point of the message is, is, is that's a little sidetrack there, but the point of the message is, is he healed 10 leopards and only one of them came back. That's pretty good. That's pretty good averages. That's, that, if you expect much more than that from people, you're expecting too much. So uh, we give to missions. We give a lot of money to missions. We give to other people. We help people out. What do you expect back? And as, yes, and as you minister to someone, the neighbor, uh, the uh, people you love, people you know, what do you expect back? And why are you doing it? Like I told you, three days and three nights, I fasted before I came here. I fasted before I took any church in any community. Because there was more than a mathematical formula that had to be met. It had to be a spiritual formula. It had to be not even a formula. It had to be a spiritual call or demand from God. And that's what's important when you serve God, is do it out of a spiritual nature. Jesus heals ten leopards, verse 14, and when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. There's a message right there. Uh, he commanded them. He commanded them according to Levitical law, chapter 13, that you, if you have a spot or a, a blemish on your body and, you, and it turns white, you go and see the priest. And the priest anoints you with oil and does some other procedures and offers sacrifices and depending on the size and everything else. And he goes to tend to your physical needs. And he, he, there's a chance that after prayer and dedication and obedience to the priest, you could be healed if it's part of God's mercy in your life. Okay, so he commanded those people, those ten leopards, to fulfill the law. As they were obedient to him, one got healed. Well, they all got healed, didn't they? As you're obedient to God, your physical healing will take place. Your spiritual healing is just as progressive. As you step forward in obedience to God, the... Uh, these leopards could be called saved right there in verse 14. How many were, they all went, they were all cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back. Okay, now we get into the issue of repentance. You see, he, in, the ver, in the first verses, verse 14, we see they're commanded, we see they're compliant, and we see their conditions were met and healing was accomplished. In the second verse, Verse 15, in the second instance, we see only one, the Samaritan stranger, came back. He returns, he repents, 
He responds to Christ. Where are you in your spiritual walk? Ten of you were healed. Everyone in front of me pretty much has been healed. Where are you responding spiritually to God? Are you willing to turn back from the crowd you were running with and come close to Christ? Are you willing to come back and thank God and worship God? You know, I hit a, I hit a, a note here a couple of weeks ago when I said, I hit a sour note a couple of weeks ago when I sat here and said, you can't worship God in the woods. There was people that shook their heads, told me I was wrong. Maybe not openly, but spiritually, they're not back. Where are you in relationship to your walk with God? This man had to leave 10 people and come back and have a relationship with God. No one else went with him. He didn't run off to the woods and worship God. He came back to where God met with the people, where God was passing through, where God had people prepared to uh, receive. And I'm not picking on anybody, but the biggest, the biggest opposition I feel here in this country and all over the world for that matter, especially when you live in a blessed land like this, is, oh, I can worship God in the woods. Go worship him in the woods. And you can go see Doc when you're sick, but if you're, uh, if you're really sick, why don't you go off in the woods and see how fast you get healed? I had a pastor friend that told me, he said, I'm getting off on a hobby horse of mine, but I think it was a little bit relevant. Uh, I had a a friend of mine who was a great preacher, pastored the largest congregation in the state he was in, four or 500 people every morning in his service. And uh, he had a gentleman uh, came to him for counseling. And he says, I don't see you in church much. He says, well, I watch watch it on TV. He wasn't on TV at the time. There was other evangelists and ministers on TV across the land. And he said, uh, I watch him on TV. I get, I get fed there. He says, fine. What do you want from me? Well, I come to get some counseling. He says, go turn on your television. The guy died about three months later. His family came to him. I wouldn't say I'd do this. But his family came to him and asked him to do the burial. He says, go call up Franklin Graham. That's pretty rough stuff, ain't it? And that's one reason I'm not that ecumenical. That's one reason God had these men come back to him. And what happens to that person that comes back to him, that humbles himself, knows he could probably get a relationship going a little bit with God in the woods, and you can, but really humbles himself and walks into the office, gets the clerks to check him in and gets his mask on and goes, sits down in a chair and lets them take their pulse and let them weigh him. I'm going to your house right now, brother. And, and submits himself to the healer and jumps through the right hoops. He'll get a response a lot quicker than the guy who runs off in the woods with a broken leg. Hard to do, isn't it? So... I have that to say about that. That's just a sidetrack. That's just where the Lord took me this morning because it's, it's something we all struggle with. And we don't always have an answer for it because as people, we let each other down. And we're short 
And if you focus too much on people and the other nine that are around you, you will, it'll hinder your relationship with God. This man sat aside what the other nine fellows were with him, that they had to sit in a commune. They went and begged food and stole food, I imagine, together to survive. He had to leave his comfort zone to have a walk with God. And what happened after he walked with God? Let's see what it doesn't just end there. Now, they were all healed. And he fell down on his face, giving thanks. And that's something we don't do much as Christians. And he was a Samaritan. He submitted himself to the population there and to the people that begrudged him and uh, gave thanks. What circumstances are you in? Have you given thanks to God this week? I know, and we hit upon it a little bit in Sunday school, and I'm just the same. I get depressed when I turn on the news. I keep hoping that somebody's going to wake up and help somebody else, and this world's going to get a little better. And And in fact, if you look at it and pray about it enough, I think it is getting better, but to a degree. But at the same time, if you look ahead, We're not the majority anymore. We're going into hard times. The nine people you're surrounded by might be the only survival you'll have. But you've got to be willing to turn from even them to God and seek out God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're not going to get that talking to a pine tree. Believe me, I've been out there in the cedars. it's nice and it's serene and it's wonderful. And I've been out there on the ocean and it's beautiful and it's neat to think about the depth and the wonders of God, but it isn't going to pull me through. Not like the scriptures is. Not like a relationship with God is. And if you take a few minutes and thank him, I, I had to bring myself to the position where I thank God for the day and age I'm living in. Hey, we got it all at our fingertips. I can go to my library and pull out a book on absolutely anything and learn about anything. And most of us, we can press a button and learn about a whole lot of things. I got to fix the wench on my four-wheeler, and I got to press a button, and I'll figure it all out. What a wonderful age we live in. But we shouldn't escape to that age and not be willing to turn through Scripture to have a relationship with God. And he says, give thanks. And I give thanks to God that I can work out of my home, that I can live in a land of plenty. It's a wonderful thing. We're, we're looking at rough times. A gallon of milk is going to cost what? Three, four, five dollars? What's it cost right now? Yeah. Okay. See? But thank God it's only that. I paid $5 for gas. I I wish I could have drank it. Uh, And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? When this church come together today and Brother Jay uh, brought us together and, and we sang praise, God was saying, where are the nine? He knows if you're here and he knows if you're not. Now, he knows if you've got an excuse, and he knows if you don't. He knows if you're in another church of like faith, it's fine. 
He knows if you've reached out to him in circumstances you can't help and you're not here, that's fine. But he knows where he knew where the other nine were. He knows where you are. And he said unto them, Arise and go thy way. And this is the this is the clincher now. We're going to look at this again tonight. Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Now, if he was saved, how come he's now made whole? See, in verse 14, he was just half right. He was half right. But when he acted on God's word and responded to God's commands and was obedient to what God would have him to do, regardless of his friends, regardless of his standing in society, regardless he had that personal relationship established with God, God could tell him what he wanted done, and then he could be made whole. Are you half right with God, or are you made whole? Now, we're all working at being made whole. But you'll see that portion in Scripture. We're going to look at that tonight, and uh, we're going we're gonna to see uh, being made whole isn't just, just a little thing. It's mentioned five times before this. Well, one, yep, five times before this, and it's got a lot of meaning. Okay, I want to review just a little bit. We looked at Samaritans, how God's not prejudiced, how God's not biased. He doesn't care where you come from, where you're going. He does care where you're going, but he doesn't care where you came from. We had two people in this pulpit Wednesday who were just old crackheads, just old dopeheads. And I'm so glad I lived next to them across the street. I didn't have to worry about leaving my truck unlocked. Look what God did with those people. Look at how he's changed. Oh, they're not perfect peers of society. Neither am I. Neither are you. But they're, they're precious people now. You, they're actually useful to God. They are made whole. They're not completely there. None of us are. We can always have our shortcomings. But they've been made whole. Because God's told them what to do, and they're doing their best to do it. And they go to church more than I do. And they're, they're, they're good people. What God can do with you. Now, are you saved? You're not going to hell. But have you been made whole? Have you been made whole? Let's all stand.